Thaddeus Ellenberg presents Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. The four bed, three bath sedan. While sitting in my dermatologist reception, waiting for my name to be drawn from what I had convinced myself at the time was a large, possibly gaudy raffle drum, after growing tired of mentally arranging my fellow three o'clockers by the height of their pants tents, which I believe I eyed with a surprising level of accuracy, I began thumbing through an especially outdated automotive magazine called Roving Marvels. It was one of those typical luxury car periodicals full of flashy prototypes, high-performance sports cars, and six-figure price tags, which were concealed tastefully within the fanciful narratives accompanying each vehicle in a fashion similar to a manufacturer's catalog, like the ones you put out when you're expecting company. These starry-eyed projections were painted with glamorous brushstrokes and were rather keen on placing the reader in a whimsically charged and equally boastful evening out with the kind of friends or spouse nobody has. But if one did, say for the sake of argument, they would in all likelihood be described as elegant and carefree. But not as elegant and carefree as you would be if you owned such a fine and luxurious automobile. Car makers would have you believe that being free of something such as care isn't necessarily an absolute, not when you have the option for an $8,000 racing stripe. Nevertheless, while leafing through this oddly faded and unsettlingly stained April 05 edition, which was strangely addressed to a Mr. Diane Porcelain, I was struck by a centerfold headline so enthralling I trembled in the wake of its notion, while at the same time jumping into the lead of the pants tent competition, which I didn't realize was a competition until I was winning. By Greenwald Motors, it read in a simple yet powerful font, the four-bed, three-bath sedan. Mesmerized by breathtaking images of stylish tapestries and golden fixtures, as well as a shockingly ergonomic layout, especially the sunken living room behind the driver's seat, flanked by the brilliantly designed study and comfortably spacious den with many fireplace, I was immediately filled with virility, followed by a feeling of immense shame. Not just for my years of encouraging the automotive industry with the purchase of inferior design after inferior design, and the once now seemingly joyless ride in the backseat of a Tacoma, which at the time I happily registered with an online motor forum just to rave about, but also for my vain naivete. How had this glorious creation remained a mystery to me for so long? Trapped for decades, screaming and flailing wildly within the cushy, sometimes hollow confines of my mental prison, spending my better years in an undeniably meaningless and rash-covered existence, I was suddenly blessed with a vehement sense of steadfast purpose. Love, family, death, they all meant nothing to me now. Six simple words that made my head reel, disabling it with a dizzying flurry of strikingly picturesque images. I could see it all so clearly. Everyone looked so elegant and carefree. 
a toast to extravagance and excess. Bobby, be a sack of loveliness and close the sliding door. We're driving through a rough neighborhood. Who wants tapas? Still trembling from my cognitive revelation, I extended the pages of what was slowly revealing itself to me as a centerfold retrospective from the 1960s, bringing to light a world in balance. Splendor packed harmoniously behind four unassuming Tudor doors with rounded stained glass windows and a welcome mat that extended from under the driver's side door. Suddenly, my senses became one. My spirit took over. I began channeling nourishment throughout my body in the form of pure energy. I had risen to the highest level of awareness. My body, no longer operational, sat there in the lobby sobbing at the side of magnificence. I could sense a feeling of unease fill the reception as the other patients diverted their attention from my weeping shell. They lifted their phones and faked interest in the carpet runs beneath their feet. After consciousness returned, I tasked myself with learning everything there was to know about this truly roving marvel. I was unfamiliar with Greenwald Motors, but was resolute in my commitment. Who was the automotive genius behind this divine construction? How did it come to fruition? And most curiously, how well does sound travel throughout the car, in the event there's a call for a nursery? After eight painstaking months of research, which included several expensive trips to the National Archives in DC, due in part to my weakness for flashy souvenirs and a palate easily seduced by steamed food served from a cart, I was able to put together a fairly detailed account of the man behind this holiest of holy mid-sized creations and its sacred journey from inception to showroom. I present my findings in the following. Nineteen oh seven. Ellis Eugene Grunewald enters the world in steerage to German immigrants arriving in New York Harbor. His mother carries him under her arm and is charged for an extra bag. His father is stricken with typhoid, but insists his symptoms are from the gruel, which he maintains was undercooked. The family's name becomes Greenwald after an official makes a mistake due chiefly to Mr. Grunewald's complexion. Nineteen seventeen. At age 10, Ellis exhibits an early interest in design by sprucing up the family's Lower East Side apartment with fabrics that aren't shades of beige or gray. That same year, Ellis reads The Art of Feng Shui by Xing Tao Li and rearranges the family living room to maximize comfort and the flow of qi, especially around the toilet. 1918, Ellis's father moves the entire family to the Midwest and finds employment on the factory floor of the Federal Rail Toboggan Company, an early manufacturer of roller coaster cars. He's posted at the assembly line as a roving replacement for sickly workers that pass out and learns the true meaning of American efficiency. 1921 to 1924. Ellis attends Pearl Ward High School in Michigan, where he perfects the butt cut and wearing collars outside of sweaters. He excels in shop and geometry, expanding his awareness of space and basic engineering. He works nights at the coaster car factory and relieves his father's post each evening. Everything is hunky-dory. 1925. Ellis wins the National Junior Metal Kit Contest, sponsored by Buildco Toys, and is awarded a scholarship to Chicago's Institute of Architecture and Design. The next day, his father keels over at work and dies. 
Ellis fills his spot on the assembly line and grieves productively. Indigent, Ellis is forced to put off school and work at the factory full-time to provide for his mother. She shows her gratitude by pinching his cheek when he comes home and tells him he's a good boy. 1926 to 1928. Ellis loses himself in the work and is promoted to line foreman. In two years, he goes from the factory floor to concept design, with a short detour through personnel administration, a department focused on worker grievances and safety. It operates under soft business hours. 1929. Ellis is the assistant lead designer for the Federal Rail Toboggan Company and finds success with his first two car designs. The not entirely square coaster cars for the Gravity Scenic Railway at Lakeview Gardens in New York, which he equips with ashtrays and a plaid pull-out blanket in lieu of lap bar, as well as the rocket-shaped cars for the lunar-themed Dive the Dip Ride at Grace Hill Park in Ohio that he fashions with a hat rack and collapsible drink tables. 1931. Ellis builds relationships with investors who quickly take notice of his gumption eye for sumptuousness. At age 24, he partners with a former developer for the Admiral Motor Company, Norbert O'Shea, and forms his own company, the Ellis Greenwald Company. Several investors back him. Teddy Barton, a canvas baron from Philadelphia, Barton's squash instructor and mistress, and her husband, Otis Donnelly, a stockholder in the American Entertainment Company, prominent architects of early amusement parks. Ellis and his team aim to make the first-ever railless coaster car for street use. They call it the Greenwald Spinning Derby. Passengers sit in an upside-down bowler that spins clockwise. It is terribly difficult to drive in a straight line and results in numerous accidents, wrong turns, and queasy motors. 1932. Ellis sets out to build a proper automobile funded in part by a contract with the Soviet Union to purchase $8 million worth of spinny derby sight unseen. Ellis learns the true potential of American cachet. The Greenwald Type II boasts a 3.6-liter V8 engine and elegant curtains with hand ticking by designer and cloth master Gustavo Hale. The public takes notice of the Greenwald name and recognizes their attention to detail and emphasis on extravagance. 1933. The Ellis Greenwald Company is hit hard by the Depression and lays off thousands of workers. At Christmas time, Ellis gives hundreds of families a 12-yard roll of Italian leather and a case of saddle oil. 1934. Ellis wakes from a dream in the middle of the night and sketches a prairie-style inspired house with four wheels and conservatory. He is baffled by his vision but holds firmly to the image. He keeps the sketch locked away in his office inside a steel safe that was lifted up from the sidewalk next to a hanging piano and a pair of window washers in comedic distress. 1935. The Ellis Greenwald Company rolls out their third automobile, the 35 Greenwald Business Budget Sedan, an inexpensive two-door hardtop with standard and deluxe trim options. They partner with Byline Foods and run one of the automotive industry's first national promotions, offering buyers a year supply of canned cream chip beef and a limited edition darning egg. 1937. With the help of engine designer Felix Goosen, 
The Ellis Greenwald Company builds a 4.6-liter, six-cylinder roadster called the Tingler and wins the prestigious 24 Hours of Duchamp on the historic Castre-Martin street circuit. The Tingler has a torpedo-shaped chassis and a coupe glass dispenser inside the cockpit for victory champagne. 1939. After bringing on more investors and building several new factories, the Ellis Greenwald Company becomes Greenwald Motors. They adjust the green of the signature Greenwald logo by two points and are heralded by the public for their bold rebranding. 1941-1944 Greenwald Motors dives into the war effort and builds three military vehicles for the U.S. government. Firstly, there is the rugged yet harmoniously constructed Greenwald Mandarin Duck, an all-wheel drive amphibious vehicle with mounted guns and red satin upholstery, inspired by the Chinese prince from Ellis's youth. After several tours in the Pacific, they proved too slow and lavish for combat. Internally, Japanese troops refer to the destruction of these vehicles as duck soup. Secondly, a motorcycle sidecar outfit called the Greenwall TR-82 that comes in both jungle and desert finishes. The motorcycle frames are outsourced to Winton Motor Works, who dissolve shortly after production begins, leaving the regiments of the 9th Infantry Division with 2,000 stationary sidecars waiting for them on the shores of the Baltic Sea. The Germans later commandeer the sidecars and, taking a page from other Axis powers, fashion them into utility rickshaws. Finally, there's the armored 4x4 MT-7 Jeep, nicknamed the Tyke. It has solid but fashionable canvas doors to protect against heavy arms fire and a retractable mesh tarpoon for nice days. 1946. Greenwald Motors flourishes among post-war prosperity and beat their competitors to the production line. They introduced the iconic 1946 Greenwald Leisure Coupe, fitted with their newly designed streamlined V8 engine and back window shelving for a small private library and accent pieces. Automotive historians later regard such pieces as a predecessor to the dashboard ornament, particularly the famous hip-swiveling hula-hoop hattie doll which emerged during the war, a spring-encased plastic bomber girl in culottes with a hula-hoop, invented, of course, by toy tycoon Andrew Alhulahoupe. The Leisure Coupe is the first Greenwald automobile to be crash-tested, revolutionizing the industry and public safety. Human cadavers serve as early test subjects, but soon fall under labor union violations following the ruling from the North American Workers of the Hereafter vs. Greenwald Motors. Ellis employs the first-ever crash-test dummy named Windshield Willie, designed by Greenwald engineer Wallace Murphy. Windshield Willie is adopted by the National Institute of Standards and Technology and later serves on the board of the United Test Subjects of America. 1949. Ellis designs and builds a 29,000-square-foot house in Westminster, Illinois, just outside Chicago. The house features an open, U-shaped layout focused on unity reinforced by geometry and natural light. It has a double-wide porte-cochere supporting a second-story veranda, and in the back, a lily pond with swan-shaped paddle boats and a tunnel of love. 1951. Ellis Greenwald tackles his most ambitious automobile to date, the Divorcée. 
a cozy uptown apartment-like four-door station wagon with swivel seats, a hideaway bed, and kitchenette with wet bar. It provides comfortable elegance for the newly independent man with nothing ahead of him but the open road and rest stop showers. 1953. Ellis attends a national trailer show in California and is enthralled by the displays and their use of mobile hospitalities, both basic and luxury. He is also taken by a trade show model by the name of Gloria Esterbuck, diving from a springboard into a large pool in the middle of the showroom floor. They marry three weeks later in a mobile chapel prototype constructed by Greenwald Motors for early streamlining of the Las Vegas marriage process. 1954 to 1955. Ellis begins preliminary concept work on a 1,000 plus horsepower V12 multi-room sedan. He consults with engine builders and interior designers alike. A prototype of a two-bed-plus den proves successful, but provides little room for entertaining. A second prototype incorporates a split foyer with bonus room and easy access to the engine, via linen closet in the basement next to the laundry room. Unfortunately, the recently proposed Federal Aid Highway Act, implementing a network of overpasses countrywide, limits the vertical clearance of vehicles to 14 feet. 1957. Ellis travels to India in the Far East in search of exotic textiles. He returns with plush fabrics, ornate rugs, and a smell he can't get out of his clothes. His team of interior designers experiment with unconventional layouts and make groundbreaking innovations in space management. His in-house decorators work closely with lead furniture designer Anne Hoffman to complement the mid-century modern aesthetic and geometrical build. It's a creative roundtable of philosophies focusing on a balanced use of ornament and function. Ellis requests gold-plated light switch covers and more shag. 1958. Greenwald Motors partners with Mitchell Myers Construction and Siding for what Ellis Greenwald promises will be the most luxurious and magnificent production automobile the world has ever seen. 1960. The Greenwald four-bed, three-bath sedan is unveiled at the American National Auto Show in Detroit on January 11, 1960. Ellis Greenwald makes a special appearance and acknowledges the crowd after exiting the automobile with his wife and a tray of cookies straight from the oven. Attendees are given a brief tour and asked to remove their hats upon entry. It is a marvel of highway travel, but is tied in the city. Some of its features include crown molding with ornate detailing, decadent light fixtures, a four-burner stove, sewing room, alternator, central heating, and a separate doorbell horn function. Its free-flowing interior provides ideal space for long road trips and hosting out-of-town guests, as well as roaming key parties. Public reception is positive, and Greenwald Motors places more than 200 pre-orders from showgoers. A down payment secures buyers a special edition limited production Sebastian Taylor bedroom suit with a pair of alabaster lamps and jewel-encrusted music box. 1961. Greenwald Motors retrofits their assembly lines with cylindrical robots featuring five axes of freedom, allowing for faster production, greater profit, and fewer sick days during the World Series. The Greenwald four-bed, three-bath sedan goes into production. 1962. 
Greenwald's competitors react to the multi-room sedan and follow suit with their own builds. German automakers, Sieben, under the Elf Automotive Group, introduce a two-door, double-bed, rear-engine economy coupe called the Sieben Barracks. They're popular with North American youth and Führers in hiding. There's the Australian 1962 Beach Auto Bungalow by the Arvo Motors and Engineering Company. It features a flatbed porch with screened-in and surfboard rack options. It's marketed as a fun, leisure vehicle, perfect for summer outings, holidays, and weekend getaways with your side piece. In Japan, Nakiri Motos unveils a three-bed, traditional, Japanese-style four-door with large rooms, railed ceilings, and a lifespan of 400,000 miles. 1963. After investing nearly half a billion dollars in its production, the Greenwald four-bed sells just 2,000 units in its first year. It is an underwhelming and puzzling start to a grand and ambitious undertaking. Ellis and his team design and engineer two special edition four-beds with slight modifications to each. The first comes with pea green and saffron schemed interior with flower wallpaper and ambiguous art. The second echoes a chic Manhattan apartment with black and white decor, a baby grand piano, and ambiguous art. 1964. Sales continue to struggle. An increase in building materials, e.g. roofing shingles and gutters due to unusually excessive rainfall, and a redesigned camshaft following poor chimney placement, leads to cost overrun and a 37% markup on all Greenwald multi-room sedans. The grandiose and lavish notion of a spacious multi-room automobile proves impractical in a time of confusion and growing tensions. 1966-1968, Ellis Greenwald doubles down. He spends two years sketching and designing a multi-wing, five-axle, all-wheel-drive sedan with glass atrium and rose garden. It has six bedrooms, four-and-a-half baths, and a pool at the boot of the car. The blueprints alone sends Greenwald Motors into bankruptcy. 1971-1973 In response to the growing number of German and Japanese compact and subcompact imports shifting the U.S. auto market, Greenwald Motors scales back production of their multi-room sedans. They introduce a sensible two-door, four-seat, front-engine hatchback called the Greenwald Moth and are lambasted by critics for a less-than-lavish design with zero amenities. 1974. Greenwald Motors dissolves in the wake of the oil crisis. The lot of their multi-room chassis are donated and shipped to homeless organizations throughout the country. The homeless live in the stationary four-bedroom automobile frames with functioning utilities. It is a sad byproduct of the times. From their windows, they watch the daily commute of motorists and the queues outside gas stations, and they're thankful for what they have. 1981. At age 74, Ellis Greenwald develops a pulmonary disease and passes in his sleep at his Beaver Mill home in western Pennsylvania. He is interred in the Lawfrey Lane Cemetery in upstate New York following a funeral procession of multi-room automobiles. His body is displayed in the breakfast nook of a four-bed, three-bath sedan, dressed in his favorite robe and given a smoking pipe and morning newspaper.
This has been a production of Thaddeus Ellenberg's Casual Friday. Written and read by Thaddeus Ellenberg. With an introduction by Nicole Kalasich. And artwork by Adrian Lobel. This series is independently produced by Thaddeus Ellenberg and Will Scovel. To find more episodes and information, visit our website at tecasualfriday.com or email us at contact.casualfriday at gmail.com.